You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today we're talking interior design. It's something we haven't spoken about much at all on the podcast so far and uh, something that I think we need to start fleshing out, especially when we're talking about selling our homes. A lot of people are thinking about selling their homes these days or their investment properties and we, therefore we need an expert for that. We have an expert, it is Kelly Doniger from 13 Interiors. Kelly, cheers for coming in. Thank you for having me. Now we're going to go through over the next few months, I, I hope, uh, some great topics to uh, inform everyone that's listening just about how to really make the most of their money, get the best bang for their buck on some of those interior design ideas that are coming through in 2019, whether that's staging their home or making sure they're just not making any mistakes along the way. So today I thought what we would do is firstly just flesh out what does an interior designer actually do? What is your scope, staging, and all those things, big homes, little homes? Are you appropriate for the smallest and cheapest of homes, or is it all just for the millionaires? <laughs> so there's lots of, we, that, you know, a lot of people don't know, how do no, you charge all right. these different things? We're going to talk about it all today, yep. and we're going, to, we're going to start with simply getting understanding for anyone who might want to be you, what is your day-to-day? Well, my day-to-day starts with you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it can be very varied. I think that an interior designer has different elements that they do within their business. Some specialise maybe just in styling. Some do more in-depth design. But I think the most in-depth area of my work revolves around creating spaces for families um, and businesses that's functional, practical, and creates a bit of lifestyle for them. You just touched on something then. Businesses as well. Yes. Businesses versus homes. What do you think the industry percentage would be for interior designers in terms of their workflow? I think it's dependent on how in-depth you are in a commercial design, say. So some people might specialise solely on commercial design and work from the bare bones, and that might be designing the intricate details of the space as far as like cabinetry and layouts and structural work versus moving into more of the aesthetic feel of a, a business that might already be established. So that could be a makeover of the company and a restyle or... Um, So there's lots of different elements to commercial design. Um, I've worked in quite a few areas with local um, beauty salons and eyebrow salons in Perth and in Melbourne as well on a refit out for those um, studios. So a bit of a revamp, restyle, rebranding for them. Mm. And that is definitely about giving them sort of a new lease on life and an opportunity to tap more into maybe a different market that, that they were after with their commercial space, but definitely creating practical functional spaces for them as well with their clients. I guess you could say the same thing for residential homes though yeah. as well, a new lease on life, tapping Definitely. into a new market to sell to. Yeah, definitely. I think with interior design, it's really important that you find a designer that is going to cre- help you create the aesthetic that you're after with your home based on your budget, your style, how you want your home to flow, whether you've got three kids, no kids, puppies, whatever it might be. It's about creating the right aesthetic for you. 
And there's lots of different ways that designers do work with that, whether it's providing visual tools for the client to imagine how the space can look after a design has been completed. Designers also do shopping lists for clients. So you might have some clients that like to go out and actually buy and source those pieces themselves, but they just want a little bit of a plan to start with so they know they're on the right track. Not too much, not too little. Yeah, yeah. So there's different ways that designers can offer packages for that. So when I work with clients, we establish whether they want a concept to full install. So that might be where I'm actually doing the full concept for them and design, sourcing the products for them, and then actually going out and shopping and delivering those items and doing the full styling job. So they walk in, keys in the hand, and the home's completed for them. Is this only for rich people? No, definitely not. It's You can do all of this stuff on varying budgets. It just depends what the client is after and what their style is like. And um, But that needs to be established from the start. So that's where you using a designer will help you get it right from the first step and save you money. (laughs) Whenever we're hiring someone who's providing a service, we want to, I guess we all want to believe that we're getting more value for the money than we're spending. Yes. Right. So whilst it might not be the easiest thing to get a direct understanding, for example, with staging of what you would have sold your house for versus what you have now with staging against the cost. I guess there's many reasons for staging it in terms of just how long it's on the market. That's mm. another another yeah, effect. Definitely. We'll talk about that at some point, I guess. But is there any way that, that you can provide some sort of background or understanding as to what it might cost for an interior designer uh, to maybe stage a home versus providing a full plan versus a full plan and going and sourcing as well? Yeah. So I work with packages, um, package prices, because I feel that the general public when I'm dealing with say you know most commonly families they they like to know sort of what they're going to be up for for a service from I think that that happens with any service provider so rather than charging hourly rate estimating that I might be 50 hours work as such I allow for a package price at the start of two separate packages that I offer. And that's based on a rough hourly rate of um, anywhere from sort of, you know, 100 to 150 an hour, depending on what the client is and what they need and the depth of work. And then we establish a package price for the first design and concept stage. So that usually in my circumstances is a 50% deposit payable at the start. Then we work through that design concept phase after we've had that initial consultation. And then the, the remaining fees due are after the the first stage is complete. So people know what they're up for. Then we can move into stage two, which is the um, sourcing, ordering, and then the styling phase. So again, then they'll get a package price for that. They'll know what they're up for as far as my services are. And then they know what to expect when the styling is completed because they would have they know all the costs before. It's like it's like any expert professional service, uh, except this one is on either designing for, to live mm-hmm. or designing to sell. Uh, if we can s- focus on the sell side, on the staging side, how do interior designers normally charge? I guess it's a package fee again, but is there rental yeah. fees? How long would a normal rental package last for? We're gonna. I think. I, I think we'll talk about this in more detail in a new episode at some yeah. point. Yeah. But can you just flesh out what? A staging fee looks like because I think this is something that really is undersold in Western Australia as a value proposition when selling, especially in a market that's a buyer's market where it's hard to 
differentiate yourself as a seller, especially in the unit market, mm. uh, for what you've got? What, what, what's the normal package there of the staging and, and what goes on? I think there's definitely two elements to staging for sale, um, like you said, that we can explore a little bit more later as well. The staging for sale where people may want to fully complete a, a home fit out with a staging company, and that's where um, you can do a higher package. I mean, some companies might offer you know, a weekly rental fee. Um, they may offer incentives to hire for longer periods of time, You know, whether it's four to six weeks. That is obviously something that needs to be considered for from the seller around the time frame they think their property is going to be on the market for. Yeah, you want which, to err on the side of caution, wouldn't you? Yes. Everyone thinks they're selling in two weeks, but I tell you yeah. what, not in this market unless no. you have a real banger. And if that's the case, you might not even need staging. That's right. And it is something to be considered as well if you're going to be living in the property and living with the rental furniture and those types of things. If you've got pets, you've got kids, those are the elements that need to be uh, considered as well if you are going to hire from a rental company and use a designer from, say, that business. Uh, the other alternative is using your own home furnishings and having, um, say, a, a stylist or a, and a designer come in and help you go through a bit of a checklist process on tips that you can use to use your own products and how you can uh, sort of declutter and minimalize that sort of that personal feel so when people are coming to your home they do feel like they can imagine themselves in your home yeah not sleeping over your home that's right yeah <laughs> you don't want to feel like you're sleeping in someone else's house exactly <laughs> i think that's the funniest thing whenever i go to a property when i'm looking that i'm looking to buy for a client and the family photos are up the mm. toothpaste stain is on the in the cup in the yeah. Yeah, all these little things you think oh geez yeah. it wouldn't take more than a couple of hours to, for someone with a bit of a step back yeah. to sort this out and any property agent will sense that from prospective buyers as well when they're coming into the property and they can see them feeling really closed off and not wanting to enter into spaces because it feels private you don't want your house to feel like that on an open home and that's something you definitely don't want from a first impression from potential buyers i guess it's that that arm's length expert opinion whereas as a home you might feel this is your perfect little cave but in, for someone else coming in that different uh, arm's length perspective to say, look, I can I can appreciate this is a beautiful space here, mm. but we just need to open it up or make it a little bit more generic for people to be able to come in here and, and put their own stamp on it. Definitely, 100%. Lastly, I want to get an understanding of what your main client would look like. What's a stereotypical client for an interior designer on a day-to-day, on a week-to-week? And what are they asking for from you? Do they have a couple of kids? Are they single bloke or uh, single lady in, in professional? Yeah. Who's who's normally getting an interior designer? Um, I think I've got a, a quite a varying market, which is great. Um, a, a lot of the ones that I do have at, at the moment are families. So they may be, you know, husband, wife, you know, sort of early 40s, couple of kids. They have may have lived in their home, um, say, for the last, you know, sort of five years, but ready to give it that makeover. So a lot of them are looking at creating more functional environments for their families as their kids are getting that little bit older. And that is um, creating living spaces that allow for kids to have their friends over and designated areas for those kids to sort of maybe play. Make a mess. Yeah, make a mess away from the nice area. (laughs) Uh, More functional kitchen spaces, definitely, for entertaining and having friends and family over. 
and uh, maybe uh, redoing bathroom spaces as well as they get a little bit tired over time and people looking at the latest products and, and how they the can tiles. sort of... Yeah, tiles, yep. stone products, bench tops, sinks, tapware, that kind of thing. So there's definitely a lot of people out there looking for that makeover at the moment. I guess you're right. When when we think about doing our own makeover or, or renovation to our house, we generally just go straight to the manufacturer or the, 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 the warehouse or the wholesaler in, mm. in Osborne Park, right? Mm-hmm. I guess, Aussie Park's yeah. a main thoroughfare for me. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what you where you would go too, but you're that professional in between, uh, especially for those that are time poor or mm. those that maybe don't have the confidence in their creativity, like myself, for example. Yeah, well, people people want that tick sheet, that guideline, and, and that's what designers can provide as well because there might be some people out there and clients that want to actually go and get the products themselves, but they just don't know where to start. So, or if they're getting a good price, right? Yeah. You, you would do this every day. Yes. You would know. And this is where I think a great payoff on your costs and times would be straight away is you would know where the best products are for the best price and you do it every day. You know the discount. You put the strong arm on the supplier straight away. <laughs> Steve, I've been here three times this week, mate. I want a better price. Yeah. I couldn't do that off the street, could I? No. And definitely designers have a lot of trade affiliations. So we actually get discounts straight away. So if um, the potential client does source through us, we can get you know, 10, 20, 30% off sometimes it might be from the recommended retail price. And Often that will you outweigh you yourself. exactly. <laughs> often that will outweigh the designer's uh, design fee straight away, and you're getting a how-to guide and making sure that the home or business flows and the aesthetic and the style is everything that the client is after, with the added-on bonus of getting those trade discounts. Kelly, we'll chat again sometime in the future. Thank you very much for coming in. Our time's up. Thank you. Let's uh, let's talk soon and, and have a good day on, on, on your profession. No worries. I'll be in Aussie Park very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank Bye. you. All right. Let's move straight on to our suburb spotlight today. And we are talking about one of Perth's most established areas. We're talking Florian. There's only one man I can talk to about Florian. That is Adrian Abel of Abel Property. It's pretty cool to have you in here today, Adrian. Thanks for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Trent. Adrian, Florida, for me, it's a destination suburb. It's where you aspire to end up, right? Not many people can afford that as their first house unless it maybe, you know, it's a long wait, a patient wait for a first homeowner. But what an aspirational suburb. What a beautiful, green, leafy, quiet area that's been protected quite well by development. I hope it does in the future as well. Give us some history as to when this place first started. When was it a first home buyer's suburb? When it opened up in the uh, 30s to the 50s, it certainly was a a first owner's uh, suburb, Trent, because I I sell for a a number of people now that bought in and they built there in the 50s. They would have paid £300 for the block and about £150 to build. So (laughs) I've even got the plans that some of them submitted because most of the properties there are war service homes. Uh, So it it was unlocked... Uh, post-war, obviously, in the early 50s. West of the Floriot Forum was opened up in 52. I've met some of the lovely old folks who, who bought at that auction back in 52, and uh, they paid a couple of hundred pounds for their block um, and had a choice for it. But to get it, get to the beach from there back in 52, you had to take the Plank Road through Bowl Park. So this, the, the road from the city to City Beach was on uh, Jarrah Planks. Wow. Mm-hmm. There's some history. Yeah. I'm assuming that the west part of Florida when it first started would have actually been the cheaper part of Florida because 
it wasn't that accessible to the beach. Well, well, it was also the furthest from the city. Yeah. So you've got to recall that back in the time, and we, we're talking Florida, not Perth now, but uh, it would have been Mount Lawley and the inner city suburbs that were the cream of the crop. So, um, because it was close to the river and infrastructure. Well, that's right, yeah. And then Dalkeith and, and that river end opened up in the 30s and sometimes in the 40s. But in terms of Floriot, the first houses were built in the 30s, and, but really opened up in the 50s. So um, most of the properties there are post-war service homes, little two-by-ones with a sleep-out, round about uh, 1950s to 1958. Are there many left? Oh, plenty, yep. So the real question is um, now, do, do you bowl them or do you renovate them? Uh, and it depends on people's building needs. I'm always a little nervous about trying to expect a, a, a small wall service cottage to become more than it's intended to be. Mm. Uh, but I love the fact that, that some people renovate. And some of them built in the late 50s, for example, were bigger than wall service. So they were built as sort of gentrified homes. And those are wonderful to renovate. They make beautiful homes. They'd be solid homes. Uh, mid-century, almost into the 60s style. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's very good. It's got a bit of a metric system in the way it was laid out for most of it but you've also got some of those uh, crescents as well but have you found that the soil is pretty pretty good for a new build yeah very much um the, you know there's no clay there's no real issues there in terms of build and uh, certain pockets of them are greener than than others but understand that it was called florid because florid means to flourish and it is um, designed by as, as a garden suburb so it was part of the garden city movement which was um uh, there's about five or eight, I think, I think through Perth. And uh, Florid was, was definitely modeled after that system, which is wide roads, uh, straight metric system, but very much leaving space and single unit development, so single home development. So lots of room for uh, gardens, obviously, and lots of trees. It's, it's an extension of Bold Park, effectively, which is natural Jarrah. And we still have some wonderful old uh, Jarrah and Chewett and, and Mary trees through the suburb. That's very true. It is one of the greenest parts of Perth. Obviously, a lot of older people... Uh, maybe you know going into retirement or even passing away would be some of your older clients, right? From from that from that vintage, who is now coming into Florida? Who's buying off those those sellers? Interesting, you say that because um, probably about half of my clients through Florida are, are the older generation, or if they're deceased estates, it's the the family of the older generation. But we're talking we're talking their kids who are in their fifties and sixties. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and in fact, just in this last week, I've picked up two clients of exactly that nature. Uh, one's a lovely old gentleman's moved into a home, and the other one um, they passed away. Um, so that that is a prime a, a typical seller, if you like. The buyers of those properties tend to be aspirational young families moving from uh, Wembley as a big catchment for us, really? Mount Hawthorne, um, mm. and or further north. So uh, tr- in the old days, probably the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe 80s, Florida was seen as more of a uh, through suburb uh, on your way to trying to get to, say, City Beach or Cottesloe or, or even further south. But um, nowadays, I find that when people arrive in, in Florida, they have no uh, need or aspiration to leave because the location-wise, the proximity to the beach, uh, easy access to the city without congestion on Sterling Highway, easy access to the private schools yeah. all the way down to Mozzie Park, the West Coast Highway up and down the coast, um, and good amenities in, um, in the shopping centers – all the sporting arenas and fields that you can look for. Oceanic Drive or the State yeah. Athletic Center, the rugby, it's That's all right. there. Yeah, the swimming pools, uh, walks through ballpark, 
the golf uh, at um, at on Wembley. Emperor Avenue and Wembley, Wembley Golf Course. Everything's there. So once you arrive in Florida, you're probably not leaving. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we know how good Florida is. Uh, I think we all knew it before we, before we got the explanation, but it's good to have that extra level of context. Now we're, I'm, I'm at the end of my seat. How much is it going to cost me to get in? So what's the cheapest thing I could buy in Florida? Is, are there apartments in or flats in Florida that are one-by-ones? Do they exist? How old are they? And then stepping up to maybe an older 800-square-meter block, and then how expensive does it get? Can you give sure. us a bit of background on no, those price points? Yeah, with pleasure. The um, the opening up of Perry Lakes. Uh, so when the when, when the old Empire Games Stadium got knocked down, uh, that was built in '62. So uh, LandCorp opened that up over the last five or six years, and uh, now you have a lot more apartments than you ever used to have. So uh, the Perry Lakes estate was designed with small lot living, a lot of townhouses, but also a substantial number of apartments. So th- those apartments you can get into. A two, a one or a two better apartment somewhere in the five or six hundred thousands. So you get the location, but obviously you don't get the the land or or the or the volume of the house. Um, but generally, old style apartments they don't exist. They don't exist. They do not exist. There are no um, old apartments uh, in in Florida that I'm aware of, and uh, there's also almost no subdivision, because uh, in in the eighties. The council opened it up in what they call the one in five rule, which allowed on a street, on a typical street, you could you could subdivide one property in every five, and uh, that's why you get a lot of battle axes on some of the streets like Salvado, Evendale, um, Kerwin. There's some battle axes there, but other than that, since then there's been no subdivision. I've got blocks in Florida, some 1,300 square meters, not subdivisible. What's the zoning there? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get into development uh, soon. But tell me, what is the zoning price, on price. one of them? Okay, well, the, generally the zoning single residential. There's no – you have to get to about 1,400 square meters to be able to subdivide. Wow. So uh, R15 slash yeah. uh, R15 R20, but there is nothing available for the R20. Okay. It is changing, though. So I think um, uh, the, the the council went through amendments, uh, Amendment 21 – the, uh, the, the that got got crashed in in Cambridge. I think it'll change, but uh, Netherlands has just gone through the big change. Well, they were forced to really, yeah, they weren't have they? To. Um, but and I think in a couple of years it'll change. But hopefully for the better. It's a wonderful suburb. People are protecting it. I agree. Let's finish off on the price points, and I want to flesh that out sure. a bit more with you. So, so how much is that? That original house costing me. Original house on a on a standard block. Now your standard blocks there are eight hundred. Eight oh nine would be the most popular number for a standard block. There are very few thousand square meter blocks, except for corner corner blocks. Uh, by nature of the way they designed the suburb, uh, are very big pie shaped blocks, and they had to be big. So those are oftentimes over a, th- a thousand square meters. Uh, an average eight hundred square meter block on a reasonable street with a uh, original war service home. I would sell that for somewhere between 1.1 and 1.3 million. Depending on how well it was fitted Yeah, out. and its location as well. So a renovated uh, home from the 50s with nice amenities should get up to about 1.5 for a good one, to convert it into a 4 by 2 And then a new home on a block, because a block, straight block value on an average street would be give or take a little over a million. You put a nice quality home on there, 800,000 build you're in for just under two mil i've got plenty of property that i could sell you over two mil the strongest sale in the suburb uh, in recent uh, times has been probably around three and a half four mil Mm. Uh, but a good quality very substantial 
uh, prestige home should be somewhere between the early to mid twos. And I guess these are people who have either been working and saving for a decade or two or have a quite a successful business to be getting into those levels. The current families that are moving into Florida have probably owned three or four or five houses in their past. Uh, it's working class. You know, the, the quality of people there are just lovely. It's um, uh, middle management, obviously builders, build, uh, business owners as well, but just uh, quality middle management uh, executives uh, people that are looking for a good family environment. All right, let's get to development. There's a lot to talk about in an area with, where there hasn't been much going on, I think, and you broached on it before. The state government is pushing the, these these councils like Cambridge, like Netherlands, anywhere in the West, really, who have sat on their haunches for decades and done nothing because, to be honest, the ratepayers don't want anything done. They They want protection. They live there for a specific reason that they don't want density. They like their peace and quiet. Uh, However, we've just seen in Netherlands uh, the the minister pretty much put their thumb on the table and say, this is what is going to happen now. You've taken too long. We're making this plan. And I still think it was a fairly watered-down plan. I've had people call me in Netherlands, for example, saying, Trent, can you help us develop or subdivide our property? We're 60, 70 years old. We've got 1,000 something square metres. We don't have any cash in the bank, but we'd like to retire and we'd like to just stay in the area. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for us to sell our backyard so that we can have 500 or a million dollars in the bank or 500,000 in the bank, whatever it would be, to be able to move on with the rest of our lives and stay here? Answer is no, unfortunately, until some of these movements are starting to happen. Yep. What, what has happened in Cambridge? Can you give us a little bit of a background and... and I'm assuming nothing's happening right now, but where do you think it's going to end up in the next five to ten years? No, good question. The answer is is what's happening right now, absolutely nothing. Um, There was a strong movement, and it nearly got over the line uh, a few years ago, uh, but then it actually caused such a a ruckus that uh, it changed council on it. Uh, We lost the mayor, and the whole whole council ended up changing off the back of it. Um, there is certainly a degree of what they call nimbyism in Florida, as, as there is anywhere through the western suburbs. Um, I, I believe that there is opportunity for change, uh, but not wholesale. Um, the areas that I, that I would suggest are worth uh, focusing on are the main corridor uh, roads through there. Cambridge Street would be an excellent opportunity because it's already a busy street and there are big blocks on there. So I, I think there's a strong opportunity, and, and that'll be an area, a little corridor that has been tagged by the Cambridge Council as a development zone. Um, another one, I think, is also is actually the Florida Forum itself. That would be an interesting development and perfect for high-rise. Apartments on top of it. Yes. Why not? It's a little, it's a little village itself, isn't it? That's right. The way yeah. that that has been set up, it's not your usual shopping centre. No. It's, it's, it's a substantial shopping center, but not so, not so big that you can't incorporate it into a, a good village atmosphere. It's a, it's a really good compromise size, in my opinion. So I think there's, Perry Lakes has done, has done well to unlock a lot of potential in that space, and there would have been a lot of homes on there, and there's more coming as well. Uh, there's some substantial quality luxury apartments that are going on and are still to go on in Perry Lakes. But other than that, there's no current in the florida area particularly no current development sites of any stature um, that i'm anticipating do you think perry lakes was cambridge's way of getting out of their obligations under the white directions 2031 white paper of meeting their targets without really affecting anyone well you're right in that it hasn't really affected anyone um no, I don't think so. I think it needed to be done anyway because the, the, 
the um, Empire Game Stadium had well passed its use-by date and, and, and wasn't being uh, utilized at all. Yeah. It's, it was yeah. a, 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 now a white elephant. So I think they've done a great job of unlocking it. There's, um, you know, have they, could they have done more? Could they have done it differently? That's always an interesting debate. Um, I, I think they did it well. I, it's carrying itself well now. Now that the, there's more vegetation, the trees you know, are going up and, and all the development's done, I think it'll carry well through to the future. And, and being on the doorstep of, of the lakes themselves and the parks there, is it, it makes it a special environment. So your tip for the year 2029, will we see development in the streets of Florida? Yes, but only on the corners and only on busy corridor streets. Okay. All right, Adrian, our last question. We always ask the number one agent of our suburbs this last question. What's the median price in your suburb? And if you had that in your pocket to spend today and you had to buy something today, what would you buy? The median price is $1.3 million. I would buy something on, on the main corridor uh, areas or I would buy a big 1,000-square-meter block that I might be able to subdivide uh, in sometime in the future. Adrian Abel, thank you very much for coming into the Perth Property Show and sharing your suburb. Hopefully there's there's something interesting again in the future to talk about with Flora because I'd love to have you back in. Or hopefully you're a number one agent on two or three more other suburbs as well and have it back in uh, to talk uh, about that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!